What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and you're about to hear one of Relational Discipleship Network's track sessions from the forum that we hosted last year. RDN exists to help people shift the culture by being confident disciple makers. They do this by hosting conferences, church planner boot camps, and elder learning communities, and a lot of other things. So make sure you check out rdn1.com after this episode. And I gotta warn you that the audio came to me pretty distorted, but I've doctored it up the best that I could so that I could include it this season because they just shared some super insightful and helpful stuff in these episodes, and I think you're gonna be blessed by it. So let's go ahead and jump in and hear from Relational Discipleship Network. Here we go. Thanks so much for being a part of our last session here with the Relational Discipleship Network. My name is Mark Messick, and I'm Next Steps and Connections uh, Director with the, uh, with the network. So um, if you would like to uh, ask some questions, have interest in partnering, uh, partnering with us in the network, uh, we have a Next Steps card. You can also go online to rdn1.com slash forum, fill out a form there. We also have uh, a, a free resource we'd like to send you, but uh, we just want to partner with you and, and help uh, as best as we can. And we're just uh, grateful for your heart for ministry, the heart to make disciples, and then furthering um, that desire by, by you know, visiting other ministries and learning from each other. And so uh, today, today's topic is fatigue in ministry. Uh, maybe the best use of this time is to pull out some red and blue mats that we used to have in kindergarten and take a nap. Right, there's a lot of fatigue. And you'd say, hey, in the last 18 months, I don't want to ask you to raise your hand, but possibly you're saying, you know, I, I felt numerous times about walking away from this, you know, looking at, can I, can I be an electrician? Can I work at this? You know, what, what can I do? And so um, I think you're going to find yourself in welcome company here um, with all of that. So uh, at this time, I want to ask three gentlemen to come up on stage um, uh, that are going to be talking about uh, fatigue in ministry, being burned out, tired, discouraged. And uh, I'm going to ask them to, to share a little bit about themselves. Um, starting off here with Jim Putman, and then we have Scott Harris, and we have Joel Owen. So give them a round of applause. Thank them for being here. So just share a little bit about your context and uh, in your church, and uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, I, I'm a pastor of a church called Real Life Ministries in in. Uh, Post Falls, Idaho, which is near the top of Idaho, not far from the Canadian border and not very far from Spokane, Washington. So it's very beautiful. Um, and our context has been, of course, we're in Idaho. So uh, in Idaho, we're a fairly rebellious lot. And so we've had mandates and those kinds of things at times, but we, we've had it probably, well, I can say this, we've had it way better than Scott had. Uh, but uh, been, we planted the church 23 years ago, and, and so I've uh, been at this a while, and, and so I, I do understand the, the fatigue and, the, and that, that kind of, so we'll have a great time talking about that. Uh, my name is Scott Harris. I'm a lead pastor at North Shore Christian Church in Everett, Washington, just a few miles north of Seattle. Uh, and my context um, is that church is just hard in general, just so you know, okay? So I mean, it's not just a COVID question. This is a ministry question of fatigue, but with COVID, it really has exasperated us. Um, and I am in a deeply, deeply blue state and mandates 
pretty extreme and ongoing, and it's created great divisions and tension in, in really every arena. So it's, uh, it's been a tough haul. And so um, I'm not an expert, but I know I am, I feel like I'm drowning in sometimes these anxieties and this burnout and everything that we're experiencing right now. My name is Joel Owen. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Fellowship Church in Kingsport, Tennessee, about four and a half hours east of here. And uh, our context is uh, a little bit about our church. I guess it's a smaller church, um, but a church that was planted about 17 years ago. And after about 10 years, uh, they went through a real transition and basically uh, had some pastoral staff that left the church. The elders kind of relaunched the church at that point in time, and they wanted to do that with a disciple-making focus. And so the person that they were going to hire to come in needed to have a heart for discipleship. Uh, and that's kind of where God opened a door for me to come in. So I really came into not a new church plant, but a relaunch. And so it felt a lot like a church plant. And we've been on this trajectory now for the last seven years of just trying to make disciples of Jesus and figure out how to, how to walk in community with one another and, uh, and how to do that in the middle of all kinds of stresses and pressures and the same things you guys face every single day. Thank you, Joel. Um, in a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity for Q&A. Um, we'll have a mic that'll go around, and you'll be able to ask these, these men some questions. Um, but I want to start off with a question to Jim. Um, God's given you a, 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 a tremendous uh, gospel um, platform as, as you've ministered to people, no pastors uh, all over the country, all over the world. What are you seeing? What are you hearing as far as fatigue in ministry, people that are burned out, that are hurt, that are struggling? Um, one of the things that, that I've noticed for years um, is the exhaustion level and the kind of the mental health issues, some of the things that pastors have been dealing with. A few years ago, I wrote a book called uh, The Power of Together. And I, the reason I wrote that was because uh, of the, um, my perception of where pastors were at. Uh, I, went to a, uh, I went to a ministry in another country that was just very reputable, very famous. And uh, I got asked to go teach at their Bible colleges and work through their ministry. They have uh, just a massive Bible college system throughout the country and, and all those things. And, and I was... Uh, sitting with the pastors and, and the reason they, they said we make disciples but we could do it better and, and they were I said, tell me about your ministry and they said uh, uh, we had 100,000 baptisms this year and man things are just going crazy and so I was like wow and they shared and they said well what are you working on and I said well I'm working on this book called Power of Together because pastors have actually been taught you keep everybody at a distance because your credibility comes from your ability to pull off what you preach and knowing full well that they struggle, they keep everybody, you don't want to lose their credibility. I actually taught that in Bible college and pastors are the loneliest people I've ever met and they don't trust people. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting with all the leaders of this movement and most of them are in one family. And the daughter said, you know what, Jim, I don't trust one person outside of this room. And I, and I said, so how many staff do you have? We have thousands of staff. And I said, you don't trust one person outside of this room. I said, I, I thought you guys said you were making disciples. Well, we are. I said, it doesn't sound like you're making very good disciples. Because disciples of Jesus should become the best friends you could ever possibly have, the most trustworthy, the most encouraging, the most... Um, you, you can share anything with them and they'll, they'll love you and pray for you. And they'll even call you onto the carpet when you're wrong because they love you. And, 
And there is a, 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 I think the pandemic really revealed what was already there, a philosophy of ministry that's built on educating, on transfer of information, very, you know, everybody's so busy, so we'll just kind of, I call it spiritual rock skipping. And we have a lot of lakes and you throw the rock it's real fast and it bounces on the top. Uh, most people's relationships are very surface. Most pastors are trying to put on the best show in town so they can gather the biggest crowds rather than being equippers of the saints, rather than building people that have a lifestyle that carries them through struggle. And so ministry is exhausting and we all make mistakes, but I'm noticing that because we don't have the right understanding of maturity in Christ, we think it's all about what you can do or what you know and what skill sets you have rather than how well you love and are loved as well. I'm not saying the others aren't important. We have pastors who are trying to shepherd everybody rather than equip the saints so that it's a team effort, so they're exhausted. Uh, they're always fixing everybody else's fires while the fires in their home home are raging. And, and so they're... They're, they're, you know, it, it, the kind of maturity that we strove for has left people out of balance, exhausted. We're losing our own kids from our own family oftentimes. And again, you could do all the right things and there's that nasty little thing called free will. I'm not saying that if your kids go the wrong direction it means that you didn't do your job. I'm just saying, overall, I see people who are exhausted because they carry the burden themselves. They don't have time for real relationships. The strength that comes to help you carry out the mission together. And so I'm seeing this burnout, exhaustion, going back into old addictions, affairs. You know, I'm seeing that at the head level. And if that's what's happening at the head level, pastors and elders, that transfers, that, tra that, that has a, a place in the family of God that it shouldn't have. Either of you want to share a, a, something maybe that you've been navigating? Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm like you guys, amen to that, right? That's what we're seeing. It's what we're experiencing, right? Let's just be honest. That's us. I mean, and I, I'm seeing a an extreme diminished capacity uh, for all things, all things spiritual, relational. Uh, and there's just this undertow. I saw a study, and I think it's in the, the 80% when they surveyed um, uh, high school seniors uh, that have seen an uh, increase in anxieties, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Uh, and, uh, and it was incredible. I just thought about that. So that is the culture we're living in, we're ministering in right now. And, uh, and Jim, you quoted earlier and helped me with this number. Uh, I think you said 3,000 churches are closing every year. Is that the stat you gave earlier? And I'd heard 1,200 pastors are leaving the ministry every month. They just did a study that said 70% of pastors are looking for a different job. Did you hear that? How many do you have your resumes in your back pocket right now? Right? That's, that's an uncomfortable laugh. It's all of us, right? Uh, no, we, we have a pandemic, don't we? It's this, you know, those that are bring, to be, bring the light and be the light are, are hurting, they're broken. Our staffs are hurt and broke. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said. I think we'll carry it on, but um, uh, I just say amen. Yeah, I think we have to give our, ourselves permission to recognize when we're not okay, right? Like in our staff team, we've had multiple people on our staff that are currently in counseling. I'm one of them. 
right? And I've had to come to that place just in the last 18 months. That was never something I had done in my life before. I had told other people, counseling's great. Everybody should get counseling. It's probably helpful for everybody. And yet I had never done it. Uh, And yet this past year, I found myself in a place where I had incredible anxiety. Uh, I experienced a panic attack for the first time in my life. I got on an airplane to fly somewhere in the middle of of the, the height of the pandemic. And just internally, uh, sitting in that airplane, I felt like the walls were closing in on me and all I wanted to do was go to the bathroom and throw up. And I thought, oh my gosh, number one, I've got COVID. I'm going to give it to everybody on this plane because we still didn't know what was going on at that point in time. So this fear crept up in me, but then physical signs of, uh, of illness were there, even though there was no positive COVID test. I just, it's, and it all came down to, I went and saw, saw a Christian counselor and they went, everything you're describing is you had a panic attack. You're, you're experiencing anxiety on a high level. And so I went through, through a couple of months of just getting some real personal help and just help, having somebody help me navigate what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was experiencing. And so we need to give ourselves permission. Everybody in your congregation looks to you, right? And that's what Jim was saying a few minutes ago. So many of us keep ourselves at arm distance from our people because we don't want them to know there's cracks in the armor. We don't want them to see our flaws and our weaknesses. We're supposed to be the ones up here on the pedestal telling them how to live their lives perfectly for Jesus. When the truth is our lives aren't all put together perfectly for Jesus. And they need to know that we're not okay, right? Like your church needs to be able to minister and love you and serve you as much as you love and serve people in your church. And that's the beautiful part of the relationship Jim was talking about that happens in the context of discipleship. Like how many of you have a relationship with your staff team that you can tell them anything that's going on in your life? How many of you have an elder team that you can go to and talk to them about anything that's going on in your life? And they're gonna pray for you and love you and support you and encourage you. Right, like that's, that's vital. It has to be done. But you have to build the culture of that. And it starts with you, just being honest about yourself and then being willing to be exposed. You know, kind of leading into this question, Joel, is, is on our first, uh, our description there. How do we make disciples when we are tired, hurt, and burned out? Even though um, we have relationships, we're, we're having connections, but we still experience those and high levels of anxiety. So, uh, gentlemen, how do we make disciples when we ourselves are tired, hurt, and burned out? Well, let me, let me just say a couple things. First, I think what would keep us from being tired, burnout, is to make disciples. Because when you make disciples, you create co-laborers. We share the labor together. In real maturity in Christ, you're on a journey where you share each other's struggles and trials and, that, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to confess our sins one to another. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. We're supposed to, to bear with one another. We're supposed to, uh, we're gonna get into conflict and we don't let the sun go down in our anger. There's a, there's a lifestyle. A lot of times pastors will talk about the doctrine of scripture, but the lifestyle of scripture is kind of left out in, in an undiscipled region in other people's lives. You just got to, to hear uh, Pete Scazzaro's stuff and, and those guys and, and emotionally healthy people are people that recognize they're broken. There's a humility, authenticity, and they they make mistakes and they work through those things. There's real relationship. And, And so, but even at that, I'll just be honest with you, I have great relationships. And if it wasn't for those great relationships, I would not have gotten through this last, there were times where I was angry enough that if I didn't have somebody to talk about this, I would have preached different kinds of sermons. 
If I would have sat in my office and not worked through some of my anger, I would have been different. I would have preached uh, something completely different. There were times where I had people that would hear me and go, let's pray about that, Jim, because it seems a little bit off. And they would challenge me with parts of the scripture I wasn't paying attention to. To be able to be okay with, with, with seeking and getting wise counsel, even from, and I'm not just talking about at the elders and the staff level, in my life group, with regular everyday people. Jesus, you know, a lot of pastors go, well, people can't understand, and, you know, and, and I want to say this. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, wept, and he said, pray with me, for my heart is grieved to the point of death. Who's he talking to? Ordinary unschooled fishermen. If the king of kings can share his despair with his disciples, who do you think you are that you can't share with the people in your church? Every single one of us has a journey. And the fact that, and what the devil always says is you've got it worse than everybody else because nobody talks about it, Right? When we talk about it, they go, oh, they have that problem too. That, the Christians do have problems. A lot of people that have been, have been discipled in churches go, if I was really spiritual, I wouldn't have problems. I must be doing something wrong. Instead of, no, I am having a problem, and God gave me people in my life to help me through that problem. Now, let me say this. Uh, I have those kinds of relationships in my life group. I have them across the board. I have them. Even in spite of that, this is a difficult enough time where I got in some bad places mentally. So bad that, uh, I love what Larry Crabb said, he said 90% of the people he deals with could have been helped by a good friend, but they don't have one, so they'll spend 150 bucks an hour for a counselor. Most things that people could deal, deal with could have been helped by a mature believer, but there are some things that I, my friends didn't know how to help me with and going to a counselor, my counselor's on my speed dial, right? Uh, my wife and I are going back to counseling again. Uh, and I tell people that. Why? Because we're at a new season in life and we're ch- things are changing and my mother-in-law lives with me. That'll drive you to counseling to begin with. <laughs> to, to be willing to get wise counsel and to be honest about your struggles is what your people need because we were never supposed to just be me and Jesus alone. It's me, Jesus, God's spirit, God's word, and God's people. And we've created an individualistic me and Jesus kind of thing so we can, I, the devil loves isolation. He will isolate you from people. Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they get a better return for their labor. When one falls down, the other is to help him up. But woe to the man who falls when nobody is there. He says, two can protect one another. You know, and then a cord of three strands is not easily torn apart. Some people go, that's a wedding thing. No, it isn't, or there wouldn't be a third strand. He's talking about people in relationship. Maturity in Christ is what you know, but it's, it, all the law and the prophets hang on two commands, love God, love others. We do life together, and that carries us through the dark moments of life. And, and so most Christian pastors don't have relationship, and they lead churches where people go, how are you doing? Fine, fine, fine. Highly favored and blessed. But they aren't real, which is why they're, they're isolated. They go to church, but they aren't the church, and it has ramifications that are massive in their life. 
That's why they're just as addicted, just as broken. Nobody knows about it. They all pretend, they all hide. You find out too much, go to a new church so you get a new start where everybody thinks you're fine. Or I just won't go to church because I can't put on my church face. Where did you ever have to put on your church face? When my son's an addict, and he was, and he's living in a homeless shelter, and I've done everything I know how to do, and I can't get on the same page with my wife because we disagree, she's empathetic, I want to kick him to the curb, we can't, and we don't know what to do, am I the only one who's ever dealt with that? If I was more spiritual, would I have, maybe, I mean, I'm sure made my mistakes. When people understand it's okay to carry each other's, I can't carry your burden if, you, if, if you, I don't know, and you can't carry mine. And God intended us to carry each other's burdens. When we get real in life, it takes away the exhaustion of pretending and carrying our loads alone. Now again, even at that, there are still trials and troubles. But changing what maturity looks like at the pastoral level will have huge ramifications at the people in the pews level. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Scott, I'd love to hear your, your uh, response to that question. You know, how do you make disciples when you're tired, hurt, uh, and burned out? Yeah, I mean, um, again, I just, uh, there's not a lot I can add to that. I just, as I was listening and thinking this, as, you've got to be a disciple, right? Uh, and you've got to enter into that, and that is relationship. Uh, and I've been to many conferences like this before. I was part of the RDN and stuff, and, and so what you heard, and I'm going to, I think I know what you're hearing. Uh, most of us come to these things to get, you know, give me that, 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 that aspirin, that cure-all. Give me the five things, and I'm going to go and do that, and then my ministry's going to blow up, and then I'm going to write books, and everyone's going to love me, right? Um, and uh, that's not it. I mean, it is about coming in and really dying to self, right? Uh, doing relationships, honest, authentic relationships, and that is scary, um, and I think it's getting more and more scary, you know, with all these connections that we have through, uh, you know, phones, apps, computers, everything, we are getting less relational. And so when someone says, hey, this is how you disciple when you're burned out, basically you come in, you be a disciple, you, you, you submit to one another, you bear one another's burdens, you know, and all of these things the things that the scriptures say, this is your cure, right? This is it. Uh, we find ourselves terrified. So I think it's that. And, that. and I think a real practical is what we've done in this time is really that we did a uh, staff retreat um, a year ago. And our staff retreats, as long as I could remember, and I just uh, context, I became the senior pastor uh, uh, two years ago, about two years ago. So, but, Time for COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, three months before COVID uh, broke. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we could. So, um, so prior to that, you know, um, you know, we're a decently sized church, right? Got some size to us, and you know, you know, handful of staff, and um, so we'd go to our staff retreats every year, and they were, um, and it, they were a lie because they weren't a retreat. Right, it was work, work, work. What are we gonna do? Here's the next thing. Here's the new vision. Here's this, right? And and you go there, and you know, most often we'd come back fighting about you know thoughts and stuff from ministry, and that was our staff retreat. And I saw this um, this undertow. Uh, everybody just had their capacity to minister was diminished. They were tired, uh, trying to figure this out. Everything was hard uh, of life, and so we went to this staff retreat, our annual staff retreat, um, and I let them just be with the Lord. 
and it, I mean, I had a staff member, you know, this is what we're doing? Yeah. Uh, and they didn't believe me. It took them, you know, a half a day to believe me when I told them, no, we're going to come and we're just going to sit with the Lord and each other. And, you know, I've got some staff members here. Uh, I'm going to try to speak for them unless they're lying to me. <laughs> is uh, uh, When we got done uh, with those three days, they said that's the best retreat because we just sat with the Lord. We sat with each other. We heard each other. We talked about the pain we were in. Uh, and it was incredible what happened. And so we discipled one another in that moment, you know, in these relational environments and sat there and uh, it allowed great healing. Uh, and I love what you said. Uh, uh, it became okay not to be okay. And that does begin to change everything. And I think, you know, Joel was alluding to that. So, yeah, so the thing that came to mind, and I hope this makes sense, as Jim was talking, I was thinking about, you know, the, answering the question, what do you, how do you make disciples when you're tired, hurt, beat down, all these different things? And I, was, I started thinking about, about Peter. You know, Peter denies Jesus at his trial, and he walks away. And the next time we see Peter on the scene, what's he done? He's left ministry. He's gone back to fishing. He's in a boat with some of the other guys. He even drugged some other guys down with him. <laughs> it's like, let's all go fishing. Let's forget this following Jesus stuff until Jesus shows up on the shore, right? And then Jesus calls Peter in. And the, the way I think we get to this place of how do we operate and make disciples when we're tired, hurt, beat up, down, is we remember what Jesus says. It's Jesus goes, do you love me? And if you do, then feed my sheep, and take care of my lambs, right? Like you keep it simple. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to have a giant ministry. You just love Jesus, take care of his flock. That's what you're called to. That's what we're all called to. And there's a savior standing on the shore right now for you. Going, I just want you to remember, I love you. Now take care of my church. Just love them. Show them who I am. Feed them. Care for them. Right? And so just you boil it down to simplicity. And Jesus just saying, man, I love you. I'm here. And I want you just to go reciprocate that love. Could I ask you guys a question? Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus asked three guys to go with him? Asked them to pray. He said, Pray with me. Let me ask you a question. Was he making disciples then? That was part of discipleship too. What was he showing them? When your heart is broken and you're struggling, be honest about it and ask people to pray with you. He didn't go, okay, I'm not making disciples right now because disciple making is all about transfer of information, cool stories, and miracles. Like when, when Jesus went out into the desert to fight with the devil, why is that in there? Could Jesus have spoken the word? He, put, he spoke the world into the existence. Could he have spoken the devil out of existence? Yes. Why is that in there? Because he's showing, he, he took on our flesh and showed us how to fight. He used scripture because he wanted us to know that's how we do it. It is written, it is written, it is written. That was a part of discipleship. He was telling a story. They weren't there when this happened. He told that story. 
So they knew how he fought because he was teaching them how to fight with the human uh, applications and implications, right? When Jesus called those three men with him to pray, he was discipling them, saying, as a human being, I need help. I'm fully God, but fully man, and you're going to need help. And I'm going to share with you my struggle so that when the time comes, you will share your struggle. And by the way, did Paul share his struggle? That which I wish to do, I don't. That which I hate to do, I keep on doing. Paul shared, I'm the, I'm the most wicked of all men. Right? Paul shared his own struggles. Peter, you know, uh, all of them, you know, they, they, they were real about what's going on. What I love about the New Testament, before I was a Christian, what made the New Testament unique to me was it, was the only, it wasn't written by Jesus, it was written by the disciples. Right? And they told on themselves. When Muhammad wrote, he was always the hero. Peter told on himself about how he denied Jesus three times. It was never about his perfection. It was always about Jesus. Every one of them, Peter denied himself, denied Christ three times. When did we get to the place where we think discipleship is only when we did it right, not when we did it wrong? Is this making sense to you? Or when we needed help? Why is that? When did that happen for us? We've taken on the wrong definitions, which is why we're so exhausted. We're living a Christian life we were never asked to live. Is that making sense to you? Um, obviously, we're hearing the power of relationships, but it's I don't want to be, I'm from South Alabama, so I'm a little simple here. I'm thinking through, some people are thinking, okay, where do I begin in this? You know, I've heard a pastor confess one time that his dream in ministry was if they would create a pneumatic tube that the bank uses, you know, if there was one behind the pulpit and one at a study and he just would, and you know, go preach, come back, study, go back and not have to interact with people. And so, I, I, so that's, that was his dream in ministry. And so you may be saying, yep, I got to have friends, but y'all have had friends. Y'all been down this road a long time of realizing my best friend's not the Methodist pastor down the street. I've got to be real. There's levels of transparency, obviously, that I share um, from the pulpit, but I'll share uh, with my, my accountability group or I'll share with my spouse. Um, but maybe just some practical helps for someone out there that's like, what, what do I look for in that? I mean, because you, you may you may feel like there's not a friend to be, to be found in your congregation. Does that make sense? Any, any uh, insight on that? And maybe even having to look back on maybe when you broached that friendship. Also, I just want to add into this. Jim has said that whenever you make disciples, you're actually making your best friends. And two years ago, I you know, started a disciple-making relationship. And this, this guy has become one of my dearest friends. Called me during the break. Um, you know, we, we have lunch every week. We touch base, we, know, we pray for each other, encourage one another. And I would, have, I would have missed that friendship if I hadn't stepped into that disciple-making relationship with him. So, um, but I want to give you all an opportunity to res respond if my question made sense. Yeah, so the game up here on stage is if you have the microphone and you don't want to answer the question that was asked, you hand it to somebody else. And Scott <laughs> just went, hey, Joel, here. So, um, yes, yeah, so um, 
Man, I'm in a discipling group right now with three men in our church. Uh, one of them is my next door neighbor. Uh, and um, two of the guys that are pretty solid. Uh, my, my neighbor is a guy that's kind of been on the periphery, but I wanted to pull in and, and engage with. And, and when we started this whole thing, it was like, guys, listen, if we're going to do this, I just need you to know up front you're going to be open and honest with me about things and I'm going to be open and honest with you about things and you're going to see the real raw me, like the, where I'm hurt, where I'm broken, where I have. And, and I think at first they didn't really believe that. Um, so about the second or third time we were meeting together, we were going through the gospel of Mark and we hit a spot and I just said, guys, I, I just need to confess some things to you that, that God's been showing me a sin in my life as a result of what we've been reading and studying this week. And I just opened up and kind of word vomited on them. Some things that were really happening in my heart. Uh, and, and after I was done, uh, my neighbor was just looking at me with bug eyes. Like I've never had a pastor tell me anything wrong in their life before. Like that is crazy that you would open up and be honest about that stuff you're struggling with. And it's like, no, this is what, what this is, right? Like I have to have people in my life that I can share my hearts with my needs with. And if I'm discipling you, then, then you're it. You know, like you're those guys. I trust you. You're in my inner circle. You're, you're Peter, James, and John to me, right? Like I'm going to be invested in you and I want you to know what's going on. And so, um, and just in the last couple of weeks, my son dropped some giant bombs on our family. Uh, one of which was, I no longer, he's 14. He said, I no longer believe in your God and I don't have your faith. And uh, the, some of the first people I called were those three guys and just went, guys, I need you to be praying. Here's where we are. Here's where I'm broken. Here's where I'm hurting. Now I could have kept that from them because that was an internal thing in my family and, and nobody needed to know. And I could have just said, Hey, this is only reserved for my elders so they can know. Cause there's going to be ramifications of this in my church and those kinds of things. But it's like, no, these are men that I've spent a year and a half investing in. I've got to be able to go to them and have them praying for me. We're going to be with each other every week and, and in relationship. And man, those guys have just stepped up. I get texts, I get phone calls. I get, they come by my house just to see how I'm doing. <laughs> That's life in discipleship and relationship. And we have to have it. And we've got to fight for it. Right? Like it doesn't come easy. It wasn't easy for me to make those phone calls. It wasn't easy for me to have those conversations, but it was necessary because just the way that I think they need me as the disciple maker, I need them in my life as the guys that I'm discipling and pouring into to be like, man, we're there for you. We got your back. We're going we're gonna to walk with you through all these things. And so, so that's a, just a component of this. And, and one of the other things that I love about this network and if you're considering on any level of getting engaged with the RDN and being a part of this is that Man, we're, we are not alone. So many pastors just feel like they're alone. You're, you're the pastor in your community. You're alone. You don't know other pastors. You don't have other relationships. And within the network, we feel like we're together. I have guys I can call at any point in time. They walk with me through things. We're, we're in this together. And you would be welcome in to say, let us walk with you and journey with you together. Let us coach you. Let us be in relationship with you. Come to our stuff. Let's, be, let's do life together. We're, we're the logo, the motto. We're better together, right? And so, so that's kind of how, how that has worked out for me. Yeah, just a, a word that that is um, uh, in your church context is culture, right? Do you have a micro culture in your life? 
that allows you to not be okay and to be honest in a place to fall and someone catch you, right? Uh, does your church have that culture where you don't have to be plastic, right? And, uh, and we know if you, well, you guys have been in church, um, it, that whole plastic element that a pastor's quote unquote called to be, uh, that's what destroys the family. Uh, and, um, and I know this guy really well, and, I, and it's one of the things that really drew me toward the Relational Discipleship Network as I watched their church, as I got to know about Jim, and I, and he, I think he does it well and his church does it well. And, uh, so I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. You know, Mark said something. When I'm talking about transparency, there's a spirit of transparency you want to have in the church, but not everybody gets the same level of transparency. So there are rules, right, to this. So don't hear me say there's no nuances. You need to learn the nuances. You can get yourself in big trouble, right? But overall, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? If perfection isn't possible, right, but all we do is show the perfect self, what does that say? What are you really saying to everybody else, right? Um, God gives us grace and he continues to give us grace. And when I, when I go into the throne room of God, I'm like Isaiah on my face going, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he says, who will go for me? And I'll, I'll go, but what will I go do? Pretend like I'm a man with clean lips? Or will I go with a man, as a man who knows that I have unclean lips but Jesus paid the price for me and I want to do better. I want to go for him, but I'm broken. I'm growing, but I'm broken. And other people are broken. And, you know, I was, a, I was an alcoholic and I went to church and everybody was fine, fine, fine. And I wasn't fine. So I thought there must be something really wrong with me. And then I go to AA. And AA, my name is Jim Putman. I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober 22 days or 30 days. And, and Jim is so glad to, to be here. He got a sponsor, right? You know, and they do life with you. And then, then I fall and I'm like, okay, I have to start over. I, I'm, I've been sober one day. Right, and they're like, man, we're just so glad you're here. And I started to go, why is it AA has taken everything from scripture and applied it in life, but churches don't do it? And what does it look like to be transparent and growing and grace-filled and not accepting sin? There's times to be told people accountable and all that, but I can tell you this, in my life, my son's a pastor now, but nine years, jail, sold my house so he could go into recovery, failed, child out of wedlock, doesn't have a, gra a, a, a high school diploma. Again, now he's in ministry. At that time, if I wouldn't have had people to help me carry the load, I was done. I actually offered my resignation. I knocked my son out cold when he was 17 years old. First time I'd hit anybody in 30 years because he was, he was high and he, got, and he started to get physical with my wife and I knocked him out. Wrote my resignation letter, came to church offered it to my guys and they said, what are you talking about? We know this has been a struggle. We know, we got your back. We got your back. You've had our back, we got your back. If you need to step back, we'll carry the load. All they would have had to done at that point was go, blow me over the edge I was over, just give me permission. My son's in ministry because he saw the church the way God designed the church to hold me up and my wife up, to care for us. And, and 
saw the strength that I would have drank. I was the closest I've been to drinking again in 30 years over that experience. And yet, people held me up. Um, and I'm grateful I taught it, and I'm grateful I tried to live it, and I'm grateful other people lived it. Did everybody live it? No. Did some people leave because I wasn't the perfect pastor? Because my son went to jail and it was in the news in every part of the town? Yeah, some people left. But man, I'm so grateful for the church as God designed it. I can't stand the church as we designed it. You see what I'm saying? And so what I'm saying to you guys is, as Christians, we are to be something, to model that. There's life in that. Systems develop from that. Organizational structure, a lot of guys come in and go, I need to change my church. No, you don't need to change your church. You need to change you. And as you change, your group changes. And as your group changes, the structure changes because there's been a change in the church, not because you organize something differently. Being a Christ follower in a disciple of Jesus as he defines it brings life to those who want life. And so now it changes the world around you. And so that, that's what we're about here. And, and have I been hurt? Absolutely, I've been hurt. Have people misused information? And yep, 1 Corinthians 13 says love is something, right? But it says it always perseveres. It always trusts. I'm really glad that when Jesus shared himself with me and I didn't listen or I hurt his feelings, he didn't go, all right, I'm done loving you. We do what we do because of the love of Christ in us. We're compelled by Christ's love. Jesus does a work in us and out of reverence for Christ, we submit therefore one to another. We love as Christ loved. Not because we get something out of it. The whole world gives because it gets. We give because we've already gotten. And we change the culture where we're at. Discipleship happens in that way. And so... Um, yes, don't hear me say, if you did it all right, then you wouldn't be exhausted. No, ministry is exhausting. And here's the truth. I can, I, I don't know about you guys, but I can dial, let me use it another, you guys know soundboards, right? You only have so much energy in the soundboard. You don't put everything to the top, right? You t- dial the room in. Uh, it, so let's say that you dialed the room in, and this is, and, uh, and, and, and you, you did that. And the next day you came in and all the dials were in a different place. And you're like, what happened? I dialed this in. Somebody's monkeying with the controls. Every morning I wake up, and if I turn on my computer, there's a big picture of Jim, 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 and I have to take up my cross daily and die, die, die. And I get my heart dialed in for about 10 minutes, something happens, and the monk, somebody's monkeyed with the dials. This is something that I have to keep working on daily, and I need people to realize I need that, and they have a part in helping with me with that and encouraging me. And getting every day, I got to go, okay, Lord. And I get hurt, and I'm tempted. I got hurt last week and, and said, I'm not doing this anymore. And as I said that out loud, what was in my heart, people said, really? Man, I love you, Jim. I hope that's not true. You know, remember, I hurt you. And I'm so glad you didn't quit when you wanted to. This is another victory story. We're just not at that place yet. (sighs) That's the road we're on. But you know what, guys? That's the road all of them are on, too. 
You want them to keep loving with their wives when their wives hurt them or their husbands hurt them. You want them to keep pursuing, right? Well, we have to be, you know, Jesus said this, it's been kind of a big verse in my life where he said to the Pharisees, what are you Pharisees? You tie burdens on people's back that you yourself are not willing to lift a finger to help carry. We say they should forgive and keep pursuing and keep loving no matter what, but then we don't do it. We have to do it because of what Jesus has already done for us. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. All right, I want to open up the floor to questions. Have someone be going around with a microphone. Uh, Right down here, Mike. Jim, could you talk about, um, you have a pastoral group, uh, a sermon group. Could you talk about that? Yeah, I believe in, uh, I do, I think preaching is important, but it's not as important as leading and disciple making and and doing those things. So I want to have the most effective time I can in the preaching time. So I have about 12 guys on my sermon team, uh, some ladies, some older guys, some younger guys, and I want multiple perspectives in an hour and a half from all these different people who are in life groups themselves. So they're all in, everybody in our, our staff is, leads a small group. You don't get to be on our staff if you're not in a small group. So I want to know what their people are actually saying about the subject. I want to know their perspective of the subject with their demographics. I believe wisdom comes from wise counsel. So in an hour and a half, I get, if there's 12 people in the room, an hour and a half times 12, 18 hours in one hour and a half. Rather than sitting in my office doing commentary and all that stuff alone. Not to mention, I'm showing people how I create sermons. So I have about 15 people that have either planted churches or, are, or who can teach and preach. And I'm showing them that sermons can be done best in wise counsel, multiple perspectives. This is how you do it. And, and, and if, I'm, if I'm using collaborative way of leading in what I do, you can lead collaboratively and get other perspectives where you lead. And so it models leadership collaboratively. It models wise counsel. It models different perspectives. It's the best use of time. I get the most out of that amount of time. So I have more time. And I'll spend three or four more hours on the sermon. So for me, four and a half, five hours on a sermon is really not four and a half, five hours. It's 18 plus another three, right? So it's 21 hours on a sermon. Get wise counsel, train up people to do it model hearing one another. I'm teaching these guys how to speak. And then what I do is when I get up and preach, I'll have multiple guys preach on, a, 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 you know, but I'll, I'll even say, hey, Santa Yinger, our women, one of our ministry leaders for women, said this in group t- the other day, and I want you to hear what she said. This is, this is amazing. So what did I just do? 
I brought everybody's attention to Jim listens to Santa Yinger or to our youth guy. That guy has credibility. He did this together. So I'm elevating other people's opinion. It wasn't just Jim's opinion. He's not the answer guy. It was done in a group. Wise counsel to the congregation. And so now she gets some credit for that. People start going to her for answers. Uh, it, it just models a lot of different things, which gives me the most amount of time to do what I need to do in my own personal disciple making, in leading the other aspects of the church, uh, uh, and being with people and shepherding and pastoring. Great question. Right there. Hi, thank you. Um, I've never heard of that concept of uh, Jesus was discipling even in the garden, right? That idea, that's kind of blew my mind just now. Um, so as a, as a staff member at my church, right, um, when, the, the, when the pastor has expressed not knowing how to create community, or how to be uh, re relational, right? And these things are necessary for like discipleship making. Um, at, at the mid-level, because you know, usually change comes from like the top on down, but how do you, like what can, what can we do at like mid-level uh, to help to either influence or create like some type of change? <laughs> you did it again. You didn't want to answer the question. I have no idea. <laughs> so I'm just going to regurgitate what I think Brandon Gindon told me one time. And that is, even if you were the, the lead guy in your church and you go to a DS1 or you go to something like this, instead of just going home and immediately going, hey, let, I'm going to start preaching about this and, and telling people they should be doing this, like it starts with you just do it. Get three or four or five guys around you and just start discipling them. And let your guys above you see the change and the impact that it's making in their life and in your life. And then they go, hey, well, what's going on with people in your ministry? Like, I see some different stuff there. Like, I actually think that's the best place for you to start is just go home and ask Jesus to give you three or four guys to pour into and do life together and just start discipling them and walk that out for a year, a year and a half, two years, and just see the change that it makes and see how that starts getting the attention of guys above you. You know, constantly be telling them, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm to encourage you with. Here's, I love this. You know, I think you can keep putting in their ear, but just go do it yourself and live it out. And I think that's one of the starting points for, for me uh, and how, how I've been encouraged to do that and how I've seen it work. It's great. Can we see this? By the way, this is what he did. He's the senior pastor, but he came in at the mid-level and started changing the culture. Right. And, and all these guys have done that. Um, let me just say this. Uh, a lot of guys put on a system hat, and they think in terms of how do I change the system. We're saying don't do that. No one can stop you from actually being a disciple and making disciples. Nobody's going to even try to stop you. Now, they may try to stop you from changing the organizational structure and the curriculum and all the other organizational things. But in your life, you need to be a disciple and make disciples. And you need to do it honorably, right? I would say, listen, don't fight like the devil for the things of God. Um, if they're not asking you to sin, you can be under authority and show what that looks like and honor people. But if you, whatever part you have to play in your life, if, you, if you're the youth guy, you can change some things in the youth ministry to bring this involved. That's the part that you have to play. It may be the music ministry 
We're going to start doing discipleship before those. You don't get to be on stage unless you, you become a disciple and you're in a small group. In fact, I would suggest don't let people have a big face on the stage if, they, if you don't know what's underneath the surface. Disciple everyone wherever you're at. That decreases your fatigue. Yeah, it does build credibility, but they may never do it. It's like the woman who we say, you, you, you do what God, wants you, what God would have you do, and, and I don't ever promise your husband because it'll come to know Christ. Well, then I'm not going to do it if my husband's not going to come to know Christ. No, you do it because of what Jesus has already done for you, whether he does or he doesn't. Same, same in this kind of thing. Does that make sense to you? Um, what would you say, I'm in a ministry where I travel around the country and around the world, and I work with volunteers. None of these people are ever on any kind of official staff, but maybe they're foster parents, or they work in orphanages in countries where a few years ago those people were not considered even worthy of being alive. They have these very, very hard, full-time, for lack of a better word, ministries, unpaid, and the thing I hear over and over and over again is I try, and I try and I try to find a brother or a sister who will just let me vent when I have that hard week, who will be that supportive person. And they can't find that person, but they don't have the bandwidth to do this extra piece. They don't, in a lot of countries, they don't have the voice because they're a woman to go to a male leader and say, please do this to help us. What would you say to these people? How can we help them get that? Because they need that so badly. They just need someone to listen that's a Christian. Yeah, it's... um. I gotta choose my words well here. Um, the the mistake that is made a lot of times when we pitch discipleship, disciple making, we are pitching a program, and a program takes time. You look at Matthew twenty eight, right? You know, go and make disciples as you are going, right? Um, and so. If somebody is breathing, living, and doing life, they've got space to make a disciple. It may be someone on that factory line right next to them. Uh, obviously, people in their homes. Uh, and, you know, relational discipleship, what we see Jesus do is a lifestyle. It is who you are, not what you do. So if you are alive, you've got time. So, um, and I'm not saying you're doing this, so please, that's why I said I want to choose my words wisely. We've got to be careful um, that we're not just pitching another program. You know, I, you know, I don't know all you guys, but I love you guys in the Lord. And I hope you're not here just filling up the to-do to list. That's not what Jesus did, right? And, and I think we're doing a disservice to our people and not shepherding them well. Um, we are to be disciples who are making disciples. Some people have uh, more time available. And my experience is this. When someone sees someone's life changing, it's a miracle. Uh, more space opens up in their lives because they start prioritizing pouring into people's lives and being intentional. Um, so does that suggest you guys want to jump in there? Hopefully I've answered the question. I'm not sure. I like I heard, no, I felt like I heard that different. Okay, go, yeah, I answered that. Go ahead. I, so I felt like I heard you say that what do you do for people who they don't have those relationships to, to talk to somebody else about what they're struggling with, where they're burnt out, they're hurt, they're tired. They don't, they don't have somebody they can go to and, and invest. Sure. Yeah. 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 So I think, I think you heard the question just a little bit different, but, but yeah. Um, and that, that's really hard. You know, and, and obviously I think the starting point is just praying, God, bring somebody into my life. 
you know, could, will you attach me to somebody else that I can, can have, that I can open up with and share with? And, and they probably do. They probably pour their hearts out for that all the time. I don't, I don't know how you, you find that and just going, if it's not available to me, what do I do? On some level, I know that there's also that comfort of the Holy Spirit that you just go, Jesus is a person too, just like Scott is right here beside me. I'm going to, I'm going to tell Jesus, I'm going to tell the Holy Spirit. And so the, the human connection would be really nice, but if they don't have that, I think you just, you, you let Jesus be that person. And then you ask him, man, please God, bring me somebody into my life that I can have that kind of relationship with. Um, I, I don't know a more, I don't know what to say to that, to be honest with you. Um, there's always being before doing, right? So what kind of a being abiding relationship with Christ are we supposed to have? And what is abiding? Is abiding just me and Jesus? Or is abiding me, Jesus, and other believers? Right? I believe abiding, if we're called the body of Christ as the church, then abiding in part comes through the body of Christ. I'm connected. There is abiding that comes through others. And I don't want to have anybody serving in any ministry that's not abiding in Christ. So you can be serving with children and have a personal relationship with Jesus. But if you're not abiding in relationship with other believers and you're serving children, you're being poured out all of the time and you're not being poured into relationally. Okay, so in our church, everybody who works in children's ministry is going to be in a small group with adults. We don't, we don't say go work in children's ministry instead of working in, in being in a small group. Now, it may not be a life group in the evening. It may be a lunch group. It may be a morning group, right? But if you're, we, we don't say replace abiding with adults with serving, right? Abiding in Christ means that you have set up your life in such a way that you can be in a relationship with other believers and your service may be to those in those people, depending on the season of life you're in. I have a single woman who's got four kids because her husband left off in our life group. I don't go, hey, to her, Erica, did you serve in children's ministry this week? I'm like, no. Your service is to be here to your children, the life season you're in, to be in relationship with us. You might make a meal sometime. You might go to the Harvest Festival and work with children on a night. But... This season of life is not working in children's ministry instead of, because then you're being poured out, not being poured in, and you fry, okay? Relationship with God and relationship with others is abiding. And if you're not abiding in relationship with others, you're cut off from part of what was designed by God to fill you up so that you could serve. That's why Jesus always sent them out by twos. When we send somebody out by one, that's not what Jesus did. Now, is it sometimes, can God step in when you're by yourself in some other way in spite of the situation because you can't help it? Yes, but I don't think you're ever supposed to arrange people's lives in such a way that they're serving others instead of being in relationship with others and out of relationship serving others. Does that make sense to you? So what I'm saying is, part of discipleship too is, Let's talk about what friendship looks like. These people don't know what friendship looks like from our culture. Part of discipleship is not just, let's talk about the theology. Let's talk about what God says about relationship. Let's talk about honesty and transparency. And, 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 and let's talk about a safe place. 
Let's talk about what friendship is supposed to look like. And when you blow it, we're gonna, or I blow it, we're going to have it out. And we're going to work it out. We're going to fight for this relationship. Because that's what we do. Conflict is inevitable. Some people are like, um, you know, I can't find a friend. And you're, it's almost like a disciple. I can't find somebody who's mature. No, no, your job as a disciple maker is to help develop maturity. So when they're immature, I'm not going, well, I won't trust anybody unless they're mature enough to be my friend. But most people were never discipled, so they're never going to be mature enough. They don't know what being a friend even looks like. We have to disciple them in what it looks like to be a safe friend rather than assuming they will be until they hurt us or assuming nobody will be until they prove themselves otherwise. We are culture creators. We create relationship by God's standards. This is what it is. This world doesn't know what that looks like. They weren't discipled in relationship. People go to churches were never discipled in relationship. They, never, they came from homes that didn't disciple in relationship. Oftentimes, you know, they either have no boundaries and they're there for you no matter what, even back your play when you're wrong, or, or they're temporary, they share stuff outside. Expect that they don't know how to be in relationship and you're going to lead them to where now at the end of the day, we've spent some time and they became my close friend. They didn't start out that way. So I was willing to share some. As time went on, we taught about what this looks like and now they've become my closest friend and they've been discipled in the ability to be in relationship. Does that make sense to you? So that's a lot, I know. But in our church, it's like, I'm not, if, so, so you want to work in the sports ministry with our, our small groups for kids, right? Yeah, I do. Are you in a life group? Well, no, I don't have time for that. Well, then you don't have time for coaching. Why would I put you in a place where you're going to burn out and put you in front of kids? What happens when people burns out when there's susceptible kids that are dealing with a coach who says he's Christian but doesn't act Christian, or his life is a, is a megaton bomb with a fuse lit, before I put my hands on you, do you have a healthy life? Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we, we go, no. We, to those who have been faithful to little, we give them more. We define what faithfulness looks like. Is this making any sense? Okay. Will you join me in thanking these men for being here this afternoon? Thank you. I want to close our time in prayer. I just want to put on the screen a two-day training. Um, we want to encourage you to be a part of a disciple shift. It's a two-day experience. I was a part of this uh, eight years ago. as part of a church, discipleship pastor, realizing, hey, I don't, I don't believe we're making disciples. Uh, these two days really transformed my life, my ministry, my family now, my profession, um, I would highly encourage you to be a part of that. And so we'll leave that on the screen um, so you can write down those details. If you, we have the, the cards on the table. If you would like for us to follow up with you about next steps, I would be happy to do that. But uh, thank you again for being here. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for that scripture. Uh, numerous that encourage us, but this one specifically, that we would be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Father, it is our desire to live for your glory. Thank you for saving us, redeeming us, and giving us the privilege of sharing the gospel with others and making disciples for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
Well, that was some incredible stuff from Relational Discipleship Network. Hope that you benefited from these podcast episodes. Hey, up next, we are going to be going through Renew.org's track sessions from last year's forum. Really looking forward to hearing from them. It's going to be great. If you haven't already, I want you to hit subscribe so that you know when I release the next episodes. And mark your calendars for October 5th and 6th because the forum is coming to Nashville again. And it's going to be a fantastic time. You can go to discipleship.org and buy your tickets today. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next few episodes. <music>